Hornet Heaven, Series 6, Episode 4, The Restoration, written by Ollie Wickham, read by Colin Mace, Earth Season, 2017, 18. Towards the end of the 2017-18 season, Hornet Heaven was holding one of its regular quiz nights in the captain's bar beneath the Grand Taylor stand. Henry Grover, the man who founded Watford Rovers in 1881, was watching the proceedings with an old friend. Henry loved these evenings when the residents of Hornet Heaven immersed themselves in the rich history of the club he'd originated. He was especially pleased to see that tonight there was a younger crowd than normal in the room. Right, here's the next question. Who's the most famous footballer ever to take the field for Watford? The question master, Derek Garston, a fact-loving schoolboy who died at the age of 13 in 1921, looked expectantly around the room for answers. A fan called out, John Barnes! Another fan called out, Pat Jennings! Henry Grover knew these answers weren't quite correct. So he was pleased when young Derek said, No! Those two reached the height of their fame after they played for Watford. I want the name of the man who was most nationally pre-eminent at the time he played. Henry looked around the room. Everyone appeared stumped. Henry knew the answer, though. He was sitting next to the answer. He said to his bald, mustachioed, 78-year-old companion, Go on, old son. Stand up and tell everyone it's you. Ach, no. I don't want to draw attention to myself. You deserve the attention. You were a household name in the Victorian era before you joined us. You were the Stanley Matthews or George Best of your day. Maybe I was, Henry. But that's ancient history. Last chance, people! Has anyone got the answer? The most famous footballer to have played for Watford. Go on, old fruit. Most people here were born years and years after us. They should be made aware how well known you were. It's only right. Fame is a curse. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. What? Every football fan in the land admired you. How can that be a curse? Look, if you won't speak up, I will. I'll tell everyone exactly how renowned you used to be throughout the entire country. How people said you were one of the grandest players ever to take to the football field. The bald, mustachioed man got up. Please don't, Henry. Henry's companion made his way silently out of the captain's bar, unnoticed by everyone else. Derek said, Oh, well, if no one knows, 
I reckon I'll save the answer for a future quiz. Emery Grover watched with a heavy heart as his companion left the room. He felt it was wrong that a man who'd been so celebrated in his playing days no longer received any recognition at all. He wished someone would do something about it. Henry caught up with the bald, mustachioed man in Hornet Heaven's golden atrium on the junction of Vicarage Road and Occupation Road. He said, Look, I'm sorry, old boy, but I'm not going to let this go. It's not right that so few people know how famous you once were. You're Johnny Goodall. The Johnny Goodall. One of the old Invincibles who did the double with Preston. Captain of England. Football's first superstar. Fame comes and goes, Henry. For me, it receded as swiftly as my hairline. But this isn't only about fame. In fact, forget the fame thing. What I really mean is that it's not right how few people know how great you were as a player. Greatness doesn't come and go. Ah, oh, Henry, it's irrelevant now how great I might once have been. It's the current Watford stars who should be in the spotlight. But our current stars aren't sporting greats like you were. Not yet. I mean, there's so much hype in football these days. Fans are led to expect that any old £12.5 million signing must be a well-beater, especially if his surname is success. But then it turns out that he can't actually get in the team. Ah, I'm old news, Henry. The current players are the ones creating the new stories. They're the ones writing the modern history of the club week by week. But your story stood out. You were the greatest player in England before the media put every player on a pedestal. You achieved it without a publicist, without an Instagram account. Your story wasn't an Insta story. You were the real deal, Johnny. People don't want to know Henry. All Watford fans really care about is each new game as it comes. No, I'm sorry, Johnny, but you're wrong. Recognition of greatness is essential to any football club. It creates values. It sets standards. If a club doesn't celebrate greatness, it allows mediocrity to prevail. And as you well know... We weren't short of mediocrity at Watford for several decades after you left the club. But there's no mediocrity now. Our 2018 squad is full of internationals. They're all outstanding players. Not in the way you were. You were the era's finest centre-forward. Arguably the first world-class number nine. Nonsense. We didn't have numbers on our shirts in those days. Stop quibbling, Johnny. 
In terms of pedigree and prior reputation, you're still Watford's biggest ever signing. Still in 2018. Henry, take a look around you. If I really was one of the game's greats, people wouldn't have forgotten me. Has anyone ever had my name printed on the back of their replica shirt? Right, Johnny. I'm simply not having this. You've clearly forgotten what a giant you were. Henry marched over to the shelves on the far side of the atrium. He brought back two copies of the programme for the final game of the 1903-04 season. Come on, follow me. Henry led Johnny Goodall, or Johnny Allgood, as he was widely known because of his prowess and sportsmanship, through the ancient turnstile on Occupation Road. They arrived in a West London park on Saturday the 23rd of April 1904. 2,000 people in Edwardian clothing were clustered around a football pitch to watch Southall FC host Watford FC in Southern League Division 2. Henry and Johnny passed through the crowd and stood on the touchline on the halfway line. The match started. They overheard a Southall fan say, I'm only here to watch the great Johnny Goodall play. It's something I'll be able to tell me grandchildren. As Henry looked for the 1904 version of Johnny among the yellow, red and green jerseys of the Watford team, he heard a Watford fan offer up a familiar shout, using the team's nickname at the time. Come on, you wasps! Soon, Henry spotted Johnny, the player manager, receive the ball and glide past two heavy challenges. Look, there you are, Johnny! You're still a world-beater, even at the age of 40. Rubbish, Henry. Southall hadn't even turned professional. They were literally amateurs. They're just making me look good here. They only scored four league goals all season, whereas Harry Barton and Bertie Banks scored more than a hundred between them in all competitions. Most matches, they were drunk. If I was really one of the game's greats, I'd have outscored a pair of boozed-up bozos. But you were one of the game's greats. I don't understand why you won't admit it. After 15 minutes, Watford scored. The winger, Jimmy Tennant, cut inside and shot against the bar. The ball rebounded to Harry Barton, who also hit the bar. It came back to Goodall, who volleyed home. Henry sighed and said, now you have to admit it, that finish was pure class, Johnny. And you know what they say about class? It's permanent. In fact, it's more than that. In Hornet Heaven, it's eternal. Ah, forget it, Henry. No one in 2018 is interested in all this old stuff. Well, they should be. This was your first season as a manager, and you led us to the club's first ever championship. And not just that. When the whistle blows at the end of this game, the team will have gone undefeated all season. You made a Watford team invincible, Johnny. You weren't just a great player. You were a great manager, too. Well, that's where you're definitely wrong. 
I couldn't sustain it. After we were promoted, I was manager for six more seasons, and I never got us higher than ninth. And because of that, you think we should ignore such an incredible achievement as going a whole season unbeaten? Well, I ignored it. So I don't mind if everyone else does too. You ignored it? How do you mean? Right. It's your turn to follow me. We're going to another game. About fifteen years later. Come on. After a quick trip back to the atrium to collect two programs, Johnny took Henry through the ancient turnstile again. This time they arrived at Cassio Road, Watford's home ground before Vicarage Road. It was September the 4th, 1920. Watford, in black and white stripes now, were playing Queen's Park Rangers. Henry looked around the ground. On the western side of the pitch, the ten rows of seats in front of the pavilion were packed. So were the two stands at the northern end of the pitch. Further round, fans stood behind ropes all the way along the eastern touchline and behind the southern goal. The crowd of 10,466 was a new record for the West Hart sports ground. Henry said, Golly, I remember this. It was our first home match in our first ever season in the Football League. We reckoned we'd finally made the big time. Henry looked at Johnny's face. Johnny didn't seem to be sharing Henry's excitement. Well, obviously it was only Division 3 South. It wasn't quite like your first season in the Football League, when you did the double with Preston North End and became nationally renowned. But we were little old Watford, and we were very proud of ourselves, quite rightly. And let's be very clear, it wasn't due to any greatness on my part. By 1920, I'd long since stopped playing or managing. So you had. Then why have you brought me here? I'll show you. Johnny led Henry to the pavilion. By the pavilion gate, Henry saw a bald, mustachioed man in his late fifties. He seemed to be some kind of steward. Henry recognised the man. It was Johnny. Henry was amazed. He hadn't known Johnny in the land of the living and Johnny had never talked about how he spent his later years. You were the gateman in 1920? You? Johnny Goodall? But you'd been a star player. You'd been an invincible manager. Why did you take such a... I'm sorry, but I have to say it. Such a lowly role. Actually... I wasn't just a geekman. Ah, good. Perhaps you were just filling in on the day. Did you also have a more executive or chairman-like role? Something more appropriate to your legendary status. I was a groundsman, too. Ah! Oh, dear. But why? That's simple. 
I wasn't great anymore. Back in the atrium, Johnny and Henry sat down on the yellow leather sofas. Johnny told Henry the story of his final years. For the rest of my time on earth, I lived a simple life in the town. I lived in a modest place on Long Spring. I ran a caged bird shop on Market Street. I grew vegetables on an allotment near Gammon's Lane. And I walked my pet foxes. I beg your pardon? I kept pet foxes. You? One of football's greatest ever players? Shuffling around Watford with a fox on a lead? I'd had my day. People had other heroes. Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you, Johnny, but I think you are in some kind of denial. It's the way things were, Henry. I wasn't relevant anymore. Ah, I see. Now I get how you were feeling. I had the same thing in my own way only last summer. In fact, let me show you something. You'll see that you aren't the only one who's felt irrelevant. And, more importantly, you'll see that the feeling can be overcome. Henry got up. Johnny followed him out of the atrium. The Hornet Heaven atrium was on the site of the real-world Red Lion pub. Henry marched out of the building and turned left onto Vickery's Road, towards the row of shops. Where are we going? To get some chips. Henry led Johnny along the pavement until they were level with the Bridgewater Glass showroom. Then he turned left through Black Iron Gates into Vicarage Road Cemetery. Johnny stopped. No, I'm not going in there. Come on, don't be a scaredy-cat, Johnny. Death is nothing to be frightened of, as all of us up here know very well indeed. No, I can't go in there. But I want to show you my gravestone, what it says about me. How in the land of the living I'm nothing. I tell you, I can't go in. Come on, Johnny. It'll prove I know what it's like to be forgotten. My headstone makes no reference to my founding the club or anything. My name is tacked on to an existing slab. It just says, also, Henry William Grover. Come and see. Johnny's eyes filled up. He turned his back on Henry to hide his emotion. Well, at least you... Johnny couldn't bring himself to say what he had to say. He bowed his head. Then he shuffled back towards the atrium. Johnny! What's wrong, Johnny? Henry didn't know what had upset Johnny so much, so he went to see Hornet Heaven's head of programmes, Bill Mainwood, for advice. Bill was in his office with his young assistant, Derek Garston. Henry explained the situation and what had happened at the cemetery. Young Derek piped up. Well, I'm not surprised Mr Goodall didn't want to go into the cemetery, Mr Grover, sir. In fact, it was very insensitive of you to take him there. What? Why? Derek went over to a shelf. 
he picked up a book. It was the official centenary history of Watford Football Club, published in 1991. Because this book told him something he should never have found out, Mr Grover, sir. Bill said, Derek's right, Henry. On reading this book, Johnny discovered that when he died, he was buried in Vicarage Road Cemetery in an unmarked grave. What? Yes, an unmarked grave. There's no headstone, no memorial of any kind. The book says it's Section G, Plot 828, Mr Grover, sir. That's right. You can go and see for yourself, Henry. Except, of course, that um, there's nothing to see. But he was a true sporting great. How did this ever happen? I don't really know. It just kind of did. Good Lord! I'm aghast. This means he's anonymous down there on Earth. It's a terrible oversight. It's completely unwarranted. A national giant of football and his final resting place isn't even marked. No wonder he thinks he's irrelevant. No wonder he thinks he's undeserving of acclaim. No one even bothered marking his grave. Henry thought back to the moment in the summer when he'd learned that he was memorialised only as an afterthought on a gravestone. He'd been devastated. Now he tried to imagine how it must feel not even to be an afterthought. To merit no thought at all. Right. Things are far worse than I imagined. We need to make amends. We need to restore Johnny Goodall to his rightful place in the pantheon of sporting greats. We can't affect anything down there in the land of the living, but at least we can put things right in Hornet heaven. Ideas, please, Bill. Ideas, please, Derek. And fast. It didn't take long for Henry, Bill and Derek to come up with a plan. Over the next few days, they busied themselves with preparations. Derek did a lot of research, sifting through history books to firm up on his facts and statistics. Bill took a trip to the cemetery to make sure of the latest state of affairs. And Henry went to the Hornet's shop, returning with his arms full, having used a trick Johnny himself had taught him. Meanwhile, Johnny kept a low profile around Hornet Heaven, as always. He carried on going to games both old and new, supporting the club he loved, but he never sought attention. Whenever he saw the way ordinary fans in Hornet Heaven reacted with complete awe to finding themselves in the company of Cliff Holton, the big fella, or Graham Taylor, the great man, Johnny didn't feel jealous. He just minded his own business. In his quieter moments, he wished his caged birds and pet foxes had loved Watford enough to enter Hornet Heaven and keep him company. 
A few evenings later, Johnny was sitting quietly in a strangely deserted atrium. Ah, there you are, Johnny. Henry seemed in a very chipper mood. It's quiz night again, old chum. Come on, let's go and watch. I happen to know that young Derek's got something very special lined up for tonight. Henry took Johnny to the captain's bar. The place was packed. Henry and Johnny sat at the back. Soon, Derek, as quizmaster, began proceedings. Right, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's quiz is a little more, um, themed than usual. So without further ado, here's the first question. Which former Watford player and manager was the Football League's top scorer in its inaugural season of 1888-89? Henry glanced at Johnny. Johnny sighed. Henry, I said I didn't want... I bally well don't care what you said, Johnny. Just watch. On the other side of the captain's bar, Skilly Williams, Watford's goalkeeper from 1913 to 1926, stood up. Skilly took off his huge flat cap. Then he took off his woollen jumper. Underneath, he was wearing a yellow Adidas Watford shirt. On the back was the number nine. Above the number nine was the name Goodall. Johnny saw his name on the shirt. He felt a surge of... He didn't know what. He wasn't sure whether he was about to laugh or cry. Derek called out. Correct answer, Skilly. Second question. Which former Watford player and manager scored 12 goals for England and 30 years later was still regarded so highly that he was named in an all-time England eleven? This time, two people stood up. Tommy Barnett and Arthur Woodward. One club men with 874 Watford appearances between them, peeled off their jackets to reveal 2018 replica shirts with the number nine and the name Goodall. Johnny stared. He still didn't quite know what he was feeling. Correct answer, gentlemen. Third question. Which former Watford player and manager was such an all-round sporting great that he not only captained England at football, but also played first-class cricket for Derbyshire, played bowls for England and finished second in the Great Britain Curling Championships. This time two more people stood up. Everyone turned. The big fella and the great man were on their feet. An awed hush fell. The big fella took off his blazer. The great man took off his 1979 yellow, black and red tracksuit top. Underneath, both were wearing yellow Adidas Watford shirts. Number nine. Goodall. Johnny found he was trembling. He still wasn't sure whether he wanted to laugh or cry. But before he could work it out, 
he found he was laughing and crying. Especially when every single person in the room stood up. They were all wearing 2018 replica shirts with his name on the back. To a man, they turned round and faced Johnny. They started applauding. They kept it up for a full minute. Eventually, Derek called out, Ladies and gentlemen, I have one final question for you. Which former Watford player and manager has the following inscription on his gravestone? It reads, In 1903, he became Watford's first manager, leading the club to promotion to the Southern League First Division in his first season. Johnny stopped laughing. He stopped crying. The boy had got something wrong. The historical fact was correct, but the reference to an inscription was wrong, painfully wrong. No gravestone existed for John Goodall. Johnny felt he should stand up and tell everyone. He felt he should set the record straight and tell them that his earthly remains lay in an unmarked grave. But he wasn't sure he could bear the public humiliation. Before he could decide, though, something odd began to happen in the room. Everyone started heading towards the exit. By the doors, they formed two lines. It looked like a guard of honour. Henry said, Through you go, old son. There's something you need to see. In the cemetery. Johnny arrived at the iron gates of Vicarage Road Cemetery, propelled by the applause and cheers of generations of Watford fans lining the road, all wearing shirts with his name on the back. He hesitated. Behind him, Henry said quietly, You were a champion in your day, Johnny. Be fearless now. Johnny steeled himself and entered the graveyard. With Henry a few steps behind him, he made his way towards Section G, Plot 828. As soon as he approached the plot, he saw what Henry had brought him to see. He couldn't miss it. There was a jet-black gravestone topped by a huge yellow, black and red Watford Club badge. It stood out from everything around it in the cemetery. Now he saw there were words below the badge. In large yellow lettering it said, Here lies John Goodall, 1863 to 1942. Johnny arrived at the gravestone. Tears filled his eyes. He fell to his knees. He stretched out a hand and ran a finger down the smooth stone. Henry said, Oh, it's real, all right. It's down there in the land of the living for all to see. Johnny gazed at the gravestone. He could see there were about a dozen lines of yellow lettering beneath his name. But his eyes were too full of tears to read what it said. He whispered, Henry, 
could ye? Henry knelt beside Johnny and read aloud the inscription that seventy-six years after he died finally honoured Johnny Goodall's life and achievements. Johnny wept openly. He simply hadn't realised how much the recognition would mean to him. When Henry had finished reading, he put an arm round Johnny's shoulders. They've finally done the right thing down there, Johnny. It's like I said before. Recognition of greatness is essential to any football club. It creates values. It sets standards. But it's also essential for the person concerned. You can't deny it any more, John Goodall. You were a true great. And you will be, for all time, in heaven and on earth. Johnny Goodall, kneeling at his own grave, nodded. He closed his eyes and finally, after decades of denial, started to allow memories to flood back into his mind. He recalled lifting the FA Cup in 1889, writing one of the first ever books on football in 1898, arriving in a small Hertfordshire town in 1903 and making their football team unbeatable. A smile broke across his face and lifted his moustache. He opened his eyes and got to his feet. Henry got up too. He asked how Johnny was feeling. For years, the man known to everyone as Johnny Allgood hadn't had enough self-esteem to accept the high regard in which he'd been held. But now he answered, I'm all good, Henry. I'm all good. The End The next episode of Hornet Heaven will be Series 7, Episode 1. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. Music